Good morning. I've been blessed uh, in share time just listening to different people and together expressing our need for the Lord. And I'm grateful for that because God meets us when we are aware of our need for Him. So just been blessed by that this morning. And also what was shared in devotions and what Nate shared, I believe you will hopefully see a theme by the time we're done, done talking. So one thing I'm, I'm also aware of as a pastor is that God, at different points throughout the week or throughout uh, our life, will put, have us thinking about something and it'll feel like a burden that we need to share, and you come Sunday morning and you haven't been thinking about it. So what I want to talk about, I'm going to tell you up front a little bit why I care so much about it and why it feels like a sense of burden to me, and then I'll circle back to that at the end of why, why I feel so strongly about it. If you open the Bible, start reading, you don't have to get very far into the book of Genesis to realize that there is a war going on against God and his, his glory and his purposes. And that theme runs throughout the whole Bible, and all the way to the end of the Bible, it's very clear that we are at war. Now, thankfully, through Christ, the victory is assured, it is won, but I think sometimes it's easy, at least if you're like me, to not always be aware that we are at war. And we are. And so as believers, we can be secure in Christ while being very vigilant, knowing that we have an enemy who is out, would love to trip us up in any way he can. And so that is why uh, I care about what I want to talk about so much today, is just an awareness that we are at war, to move forward in God's confidence, uh, but also with a vigilance that, that hopefully he can bring. So I've been thinking about the, the topic of what is the world or the world, and this is one of those things. There are some words that we throw around, and they can mean about 10 different things, and it is so hard to actually define down what are we talking about. So, and if you read through Scripture, we're not going to read all, all of these, but there are hundreds of references that use the word world. On the one hand, we are told that in Psalms 24, God is the owner of the world. He rules all things. It's all his. He's the ruler of the world. Jesus in John 12 says, the ruler of the world is coming, talking about Satan. Satan tempts Jesus and offers him the kingdoms of the world. What what is going on? How, how How does this work? So I am not a very technical person. You all know this. So I want to offer some definitions of how Scripture uses the word world. And to do it, I'm going to just use the whiteboard and and do illustrations. I tend to think visually. I hope this works for everybody, that you can bear with me as we do this. So one of, there's basically, and again, please hear me, this is Ivan simplifying down what we read in Scripture. So it is a lot more nuanced than this, but largely Scripture uses four definitions of the word world. And the first one is where we get our word cosmos. Well, actually, almost all of the times that we read world, it's where we get our word cosmos. And so it does mean, it, it literally means the world, the universe, the things that are made, things that where God called it into order, and it is the world. Is there anybody in Mr. Wilson's class who wants to come up and draw the continents on the globe for me so we can see what we're looking at? No takers? Okay, we'll, we'll keep going then. So scripture talks about the world in this. Uh, in John 1, it talks about the world through him was made. Another way that the world is used is it, it just is referencing all of the people of the world. 
and then particularly those who are not saved. So I told you while I was preaching on work that I dropped out of art class, and now I'm proving it to you. So here we go. This is, this is what it means. So an example of this is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God cares about creation and will redeem it, but that's not what the word means. It's, it's all of the people who are outside of Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, then the other way that the world gets used, and I, well, I'm going to attempt to draw a crown here, which could be a little dangerous. Okay, so this represents, this represents God as king of the universe. And the world is used in the sense of Satan and anything that Satan is using to oppose God and trying to stop God from receiving glory and allegiance. And it is a whole system of thinking, its attitudes, its motives, it's, it's the way that people who are in rebellion to God operate. And this is, uh, this is another definition of the world. So anything that Satan is using to come against God. And then the last way that the word gets used is more in the idea, this is to represent a timeline. So it, it has the idea more of an age. So an example of this is in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word world literally is just meaning the age that we live in. So Satan has certain ways that he attacks certain ages. So if you think about you know, some of the things that we're seeing in culture, independence, um, maybe accepting everything, you know, no morality, maybe busyness. You know, there's certain ways that, that Satan attacks in certain time periods. So the, this is used some of the time, but not nearly as often. Typically, the word world is the same up here, one of these three, and often is in reference to Satan and the ways that he comes against God and is trying to work um, to, to keep from God getting glory and praise. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time here in definitions as we get started. And then what we're going to do is go through John 14 through 17. Jesus, right before his death, he's praying for his disciples, asking that they would have peace and be prepared. And he spends a lot of time talking about the world. So we're going to go through that. And then a very strong, several very strong warnings and a promise to end up, uh, to end up here. Before we keep going, do the definitions make sense? Is everybody, everybody with me on that? Okay. All right, so we are going to get started, like I said, going through John, and you can turn in your Bible or just or look up here. We're going to look at multiple different references where Jesus talks about the world to understand what he's talking about and then uh, get to the warning along with the promise. John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So again, we're going to look at multiple scriptures, but trying to look at what is the world, how do we relate to it, how do these definitions and concepts play into this. So here, God is promising us the Holy Spirit, the helper, the advocate, 
And it actually makes me really sad when I read over this and, and think about the world. Because God is promising the Holy Spirit to those who follow him. And, and what he says about the world is, the world cannot receive the Spirit because it neither sees him nor knows him. And so what is he talking about here? He's talking about Satan and his kingdom for sure, but all of those people who are outside of Christ that do not have the Holy Spirit. And it, it just fills me with sadness to think about how many people we relate to who this is true of. Compared to those who are born again, he's going to give us a helper, will be with us forever. We can know him. He dwells with you. And more than that, he will be in us. I just love the, love the promise here. I'll keep going. Uh, and, and you'll notice I'm not going to read consecutively through all of these, these passages. I'm going to lift out some of the, the portions where he's talking about the world and, and understanding it. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? He was expecting that Jesus would be showing himself to the whole world. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. So again, when we're thinking about the world, it's those that are not born again. God is not living with them. They have not seen, haven't seen him. One thing I will just point out, one of the themes is God coming and making our home in and with us. Uh, I found this interesting. Hopefully it doesn't ruin anything for you. Where it talks about making his home with you, that's the exact same word earlier in the passage that says, in my father's house are many mansions. And so we may be you know, looking at literal mansions, but the word just means a dwelling place with us. So it's translated home, and earlier on it's translated mansion. So I hope I don't ruin anybody's songs that we sing about using that word. But anyway, okay, I'll get, let me get back on track here. Let's keep going in chapter 14. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. Okay, so we're talking about this, this quadrant up here. He has no claim on me. There's nothing that Satan can bring to make anything stick, any accusation stick to Christ. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So here we have a couple of different ways it's used. We have the ruler of the world is coming, and he's going to give his life and be crucified, and he wants everybody to know that he's actually doing this out of love. It's him giving up his life. Why? So that the world may know. And again, he's talking about these people here who are, are separated from Christ. That's, that's all of us outside of Christ. So that the world may know. And then he says, rise and let's go from here. Okay, let's keep going in John uh, chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So several things that we're told here is that there's a good chance the world will hate us, because the world hated Christ. And it's very clearly seen in his life, from trying to kill him as a baby to his crucifixion, the world hates Christ and his claim to their allegiance and the revealing of sin. So there's a good chance the world will hate us. Why does the world hate us? And God says that we need to remember that we were, we were chosen out of the world. So this is us. God chooses us out of the world, but also we were living totally under Satan's control and for Satan's kingdom. So God chooses us and pulls us out into his kingdom. And there are only two kingdoms. And so because of that, the world is going to be at odds with Christians and going to, to hate Christians. And so we should not be surprised by that of, um, because we have been called out of the world. Okay, let's keep on going in John 16. A few more concepts here about the world. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we see Jesus saying that he came, he came into the world, he's about to leave the world. And I want to focus in on the, the last part of this. He says that in the world you are going to have tribulation. So that, that is, I mean, it's, it's a guarantee that we are going to face tribulation. So we live, we live in the world as in this definition. We also live in and around this definition. So there's bound to be tribulation, and the word is just pressure. So we all know what it feels like to be under pressure, where there's just things squeezing down on us. So in the world, and, and here we'll mix our little metaphors again. So I'm going, to move, I'm going to move us up here to the world. So in the world, you, you will have tribulation. But what does he say? He said, I've said these things that in me you can have peace. And peace is just, it's, it, is, it literally is the idea of flourishing or our heart kept together in one and not having a distracted heart. So we're in the world. We're going to have tribulation. Our peace comes because we are in Christ. So I'll try to draw a cross here around this person. So we are, so we are in the world, but our primary identity is that we are in Christ. And so even though we are at war, facing tribulation, we are in Christ. That's, that's where we are. We are hidden in Christ. And we can know that we are saved to the uttermost, is, what, is how he would describe this. So we are in Christ even though we're in the world facing tribulation. And that, that is our primary identity. <clears throat> All right, let's look at John 17 yet, and then we will uh, go into some of the warnings related to the world. 
John 17, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Later on in verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not, and not one of them was lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Can I read that one more time? Verse 15, or verse uh, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. As I was reading over this, It was just interesting. Jesus' prayer is not that believers are taken out of the world. Later in the chapter, he says, I want, I long for believers to be with me, but that's not what he's asking for. And what what struck me is that as believers, we are equally not a part of the world as Christ was not a part of the world. When you think about how much was Christ of the world, and it's entirely out of the world. As believers, we're called in the same way. Also, along with that, Christ was sent into the world, and it's the same language. In just the same way, equally, I'm sending believers into the world. And we'll circle back to that idea uh, a little bit later. I'm going to, going to keep, well, I just want to read uh, verse 20 yet. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And he does go on to make it clear he's not only talking about his disciples, but all those who would come to know him and follow him later. And his heart is that we would be one, and if you read the end of this, that the world knows who he is. Um, That's how he communicates and wants to share who he is with the world. Okay, so this is just a little bit more of a framework from from Jesus and looking at these definitions. Now I want to shift and look at several very, very strong warnings in Scripture about relating to the world, and then several promises that go along with them. 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when, when God talks about not loving the world, what, what is he talking about here of these definitions? The, the earth is created, it talks about he's created everything richly for us to enjoy. So what he's talking about, as I would understand this, of not loving the world or the things of the world is the way that Satan is attacking his glory the allegiance that belongs to him, those are the things that we are not to love in any way. 
And the warning is very strong. Don't do this because if you do, you can't have the love of the Father in you. They are, they're, they're mutually exclusive. You cannot, you cannot love both. So the warning is, is very clear. In fact, I don't know how it could be any more clear and have us take note. We are at war. If we love the world, it will push out the love of the Father. And then he goes on with another reason we shouldn't love the world in verse 17, basically saying, look, the world is passing away, and everything that you desire in it, it does not last. However, look at the end of this, whoever does the will of God abides forever. So that's the warning, but what, what are we talking about when, you know, what does it mean to love the world? And he does define it for us. All that is in the world, and it, he talks about things that we would want or things that we already have maybe and take pride in. Um, so he talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So just how do you make that practical? As I think about it, it's, it's desires that I might have that are not for God's glory or that people who are not following Christ might have. And in reading John Piper about this, I found it helpful. He talked about how so much of the world is driven by things that, that people want or possessions that they have. And that as believers, um, our, desires can be for, our desires can be transformed by God and for his glory. And we need to make sure that we're not chasing after and desiring things um, that are not for God's glory. And how do you define the things that are of the world? Is this computers and espresso machines and tractors? How do you define what's of the world? And I just, I guess I want to challenge us that it's really hard to, to try to put it into categories, but it is what, it's the purpose behind the things or what we want to do with the things. And my heart is so sinful that I can make an idol out of anything, even good things. So please hear me. There are things that are inherently wrong. I'm not saying there isn't, but I think we need to be thinking in terms of, of the purpose and of what, what position it holds in our heart. One other comment I'll make here before we keep going with the warning is I think it could be easy to read this and just assume that what it means to not be worldly is that we are to be countercultural. And Jesus is very clear that we will be countercultural often but it's, there's more to it. It's not just being countercultural. Every culture we relate to has really good things and really bad things. And so we are, we're, we're viewing everything through the lens of God and his glory and the word of God and rejecting culture where it is headed a different direction. Um, so we have to define this as more than just, well, we're, we're countercultural. Let's look at uh, James 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you to suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Again, I don't know how to be more clear. If we wish to be a friend of the world, there's no options. We will be an enemy of God. And just thinking about how to, I guess, how to illustrate this, there's obviously we hear a lot about the Ukrainian and Russian conflict. And so if you're in war, it would sound completely ridiculous to say, well, you know what, I actually really support Russia, and I'm working for Russia, but I'm, I'm also working for Ukraine, too, and I'm, I'm trying to try to help Ukraine. Again, you literally, you can't, you can't do that. If we wish to be a friend with the world, it's enmity with God. And again, I think it's very, very important that we understand what we're talking about. What, what definition are we meaning here? Friendship of the world. And I would say it's largely this, that God does, does want us to interact with people who are not born again. God cares about people who are not born again. It is when we try to mix allegiance and don't guard our heart what we love that he says that it's, you can't do this. You will be an enemy of God if you try to be a friend of the world. Okay, let's also look at a few promises related to, um, related to these warnings. Again, out of first, well, this is 1 John 4 and 1 John 5. And I'll just summarize where he's saying that the Antichrist is going out into the world. How do we know what to believe? And then verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So again, just highlighting that if we are from God, if we are born of God, we're in Christ. And it, Scripture says that we have overcome the world. Even though it's an ongoing battle we face every day, it's actually past tense. We have overcome the world because of being in Christ. And the word is just to plunder or to, to, um, to conquer. 1 John 5 as well. It talks about being born again and loving God. When we love God, we obey him. And to do that is not a burden. It's not grievous. Um, and then, again, picking this up in, in verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the word, world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And I had to think of, of Benson talking about our devotions this morning. It's faith. So everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and our faith is the victory that overcomes the world through Christ. One last promise or truth here before we wrap up. This is in Galatians 6. Thinking about the world. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. 
And I admit, this is not something that I think about or have thought a lot about. I think about that we are we're crucified with Christ, we've been buried, we're raised with him. But he also says the world has been crucified to us, the world is dead to us, and we to the world. The power of the world is completely broken and vanquished by the cross. And the world, and so when I look at the world, do I consider that that it's been crucified, it's dead, there's not, it's not alive to me anymore. All right. I want to wrap this up in closing. I guess as your pastor, when I think about where we're at and and following Christ, to say as one of your pastors, I think it is so important that we live with a wartime mentality, that we just accept that we are at war, we will always be at war until we're in heaven. And if we live with a wartime mentality that says we're not home yet, this is not all there is, I think a lot of life, it will keep, help us keep a lot of life in focus. So I want two temptations that I see that Satan will bring us. And number one, this is both out of John 17, statements that Jesus said. He said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. And this temptation is simply to love the world. And none of us here wants to love the world. We don't want to fall into friendship with the world. But it's something that we have to be vigilant about. Because God tells us it can't coexist. And so God has to constantly be cleansing our heart of areas that we may be tempted to love the world, to to be friends with the world, and again, the systems of the world and what Satan is promoting. That we, um, we cannot fall into the temptation to love the world. There's a tragic little verse in one of the one of Paul's letters. So a couple of the books say, Demas greets you. And then there's one of the books that says, Demas fell in love with this world, and it is this right here. This, he fell in love with his present age, and he's deserted me. And so I want us to be just very vigilant about our hearts that the world has a pool, and we have to take it very seriously. The world is trying to uh, distract our affections. So that's the one temptation. The second thing that Jesus mentioned is, as you've sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this is the temptation to not engage the world. I think it's kind of shocking to me that Jesus makes that statement, both of these statements so strong, in the same way I'm sending them into the world. You know what, does it get tiring being at war? It does, right? Would we like to act like we're not? Does anybody ever have temptation to say, okay, you know what, like, I just, I'm going to attempt, there's a big, there's a big evil world with a lot of hard things happening, and we are going to kind of create our own little peace zone, and the war doesn't happen here. And I want to just say that that is actually a lie from the enemy. We cannot create we're not out of the world. We can't create a little peace zone. And if we try, I think that we've actually fallen prey to what Satan wants us to do, to get out of the fight. He doesn't care if we fall in love with the world or kind of stop fighting. And so that is the temptation on either side that's alive in my heart. The temptation to love the world, well, maybe it's not as bad as it seems. Like maybe it's, you know, be pulled toward the world or 
it's, you know what, maybe it's like, I just, like, no, this is too difficult. Um, and I just want to say that with the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, he will keep us safe. He calls us to engage the world, and he calls us to do everything to not love the world, uh, because that will drown out the love of the Father. All right, thank you for listening um, to the burden that, for whatever reason, God has had on my heart. I didn't ask you, Darren, do you know or remember the chorus, We've Got the Power? I was thinking it thinking about that on the way out, that this was a song I used to sing a lot. I haven't sung it here much in the last 15 years. Um, so let's, let's stand and whoever knows the chorus sing that, and then I will um, read a few verses in closing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. You are dismissed.